Amen, amen. Thank you, Lord Jesus Christ, that you are our good, good Father who went to the cross, endured the shame, the scorn, and God proved yourself as for us. Thank you, God, for the words of Scripture that say, if God be for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son, but willingly, graciously gave him up for us all, how will he not also with him graciously give us all things. Thank you, Father. You are good. Thank you. Amen. Amen. Church, you may have a seat. We're so glad that you are with us this morning. And uh, for those of you, too, that are joining us online, we're just so thankful that uh, your families are with us. We are um, getting closer, hopefully, Lord willing, we're praying for it for that day when we'll be able to welcome kids back into our church. And uh, so you may have seen some announcements go, go out, and you'll hear, hear some of those announcements continue throughout this next week about a possible kids camp that we're planning, um, a two-day event, and then, uh, then starting to open up with our kids' ministry, hopefully uh, the middle of August. I think 16th is one of the first Sundays that we're shooting for, but we'll get you some more information coming up about that. But uh, we are just so glad that you're with us. Um, we are going to be right now just uh, spending some time being encouraged by the Word. And if you don't know, my name is Jonathan. I'm the worship pastor. Usually I'm on stage singing. But uh, this week, Pastor Brian uh, graciously offered to give me the pulpit. And so I want to bring the Word to you this morning. Pastor Brian, welcome back. Um, he, uh, he's been spending the last... Uh, two, almost two weeks uh, with his dad in Florida, and so we're thankful that his dad is starting to make some, some strides to recovery, and we want to continue to pray for, for that situation, but uh, so, so glad that uh, we can be able to care for our families in that way. It's a, it's a huge blessing. We want to go to the Word today, and if you have your Bibles, we want to uh, go to the book of John chapter 14. John chapter 14. This is a passage that the Lord has laid on my heart, and um, one that I think hits us right where we are, um, whether it's our church or just us personally in our lives as we see the things in turmoil going on around us. We want to take assurance and hope in our Savior, Jesus Christ. So John chapter 14, we're going to just begin by reading this whole passage together, um, verses 1 through 11, and then we're going to pray and uh, just be able to teach you through, through how, how Jesus calms our troubled hearts. And so John chapter 14, if you're with me, um, say amen. All right. And if you're with me at home, say amen. You can do that on the couch. Um, but uh, open up your Bible, verse 1. Jesus says this to his, his disciples. He says, let not your hearts be troubled. Believe in God. Believe also in me. In my Father's house are many rooms. If it were not so, I would have told you that I go to prepare a place for you. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and will take you to myself, that where I am you may be also. And you know the way to where I am going. Well, Thomas said to him, Lord, we don't know where you are going. How can we know the way? And Jesus said to him, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. 
If you would have known me, if you had known me, you would have known my Father also. And from now on, you do know him and have seen him. Philip said, Lord, show us the Father, and that is enough for us. And Jesus said to him, have I been been with you so long, and still you do not know me? Philip, whoever has seen me has seen the Father. How can you say, show us the Father? Do you not believe that I am in the Father, and the Father is in me? The words that I say to you, I do not speak on my own authority, but the Father who dwells in me does His works. Believe me that I am in the Father, and that the Father is in me, or else believe on account of the works themselves. Why don't we pray together and ask God to teach us through His Word. Father, thank You for Your words this morning. Thank You for the words of Christ to His disciples. And Lord, as we, your followers, gather around them this morning, God, help these words to bring deep comfort and satisfaction to our souls, especially in these days that we walk through, Lord, all the uncertainties. God, I thank you that, Lord, we do have a sure foundation, and that is in you, Jesus Christ. Thank you that we as a church can stand upon your word and speak out to our world with the gospel, with the hope and joy of you, Jesus Christ, have paid for our sin debt, and that we can joyfully walk with hope of our eternity in you. Thank you, Lord. Help us to be changed by your Spirit. Lord, help your Spirit to reveal and open up our eyes to what you're saying here in this text. Thank you, Lord, and we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Well, I have entitled my message this morning, Truth for troubled hearts. And uh, I, I'll be honest with you, I didn't write out every single thing that I'm going to say. I, I decided that I'm going to just continually fill my, my mind up and my soul up with, with the words of the Scripture. And uh, so I don't even know exactly what I'm going to say this morning. So hopefully it comes out right. My goal is that you would hear Jesus through this text. And, and, uh, and, and that your soul would be calm through the words that he spoke to his disciples. And so I want to just begin with what was spoken um, about this book that we're reading. This book is the book of John. It was written by one of the disciples of Jesus, uh, the one disciple that uh, took great pride in himself that he was the disciple that Jesus loved. Okay, and so you'll often see himself referring to himself in that way, and it's kind of funny when you read through the book, but uh, it always says the disciple who Jesus loved when it talks about John. He's referring to himself. But he wrote in in this book, in John chapter 20, verse 31, he, he actually told us the reason why he wrote and made an account of what Jesus did and what he taught. And he he writes in John chapter 31 that these things are written that you may know that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that you may have life in his name. I'll read that for you specifically. It says, John chapter 20, verse 31, that these things are written that you may believe that Jesus is Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in his name. So first of all, his goal is that we might believe. And if there's anything that you take away from John chapter 14, it's, it's actually the whole goal of his book, that you might 
be assured of, that you might believe, that you might have confidence in who Jesus is. I hope we can walk away with that today. He says that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, that He's the Son of God, He's the Messiah, He's sent from God, He is God Himself in the flesh. As John even says in in John chapter 1, it says, the Word became flesh and dwelt among us. He's talking about Jesus. He's He's the Messiah, He's the Son of God, okay? And that by believing, you may have life, not just life here on earth, but life eternal. You might have life in His name, the life of God in our own life. And so when we, when we trust Him, when we believe in Him, when we take these words to heart, we are going to have a confidence that is beyond this world. And I believe that as we go through the troubling things that we see each day, whether, whether you're, you're scrolling on social media every time you wake up in the morning to the time you go to bed at night and you're seeing a lot of controversy and division and really troubling things, whether it's regarding the coronavirus or Black Lives Matter or things going on in our society when it comes to politics or, or just, just morality in general, and you as a Christian are looking from the, uh, from, from the inside and you're seeing, man, our world is falling apart and you're getting to be troubled as the more and more you watch the news and you take these things in, I can tell you as a follower of Jesus, if I only watched the news and watched my social media feed, I would have a reason to be troubled. But Jesus speaks some words, some truths to us, actually five different truths, reasons why we don't have to be troubled in this world. And so he's speaking to his disciples that. And the goal is that we might put our faith, put our confidence in Jesus, that we might believe, okay? And so we're going to jump into the first words of John chapter 14. And uh, don't worry, we're going to actually stay in this text the whole time, so it's going to be easy. I encourage you, keep your Bible open. We're going to go verse by verse. And so he begins by saying this. Jesus is speaking to his disciples, and he says, Let not your hearts be troubled. Let not your hearts be troubled. Now, without understanding the context of which he said this, we wouldn't totally get how we can apply it to ourselves. So let me just back up. Chapter 13 of the book of John, Jesus has met with his disciples for one last time. It was called the, the Passover that they were celebrating. They had come into Jerusalem. There had been great celebration around Jesus coming in. They thought that he was going to come in and, and you know, uh, kick out the king and, and bring his kingdom in. But Jesus' goal was actually that he would usher in his true eternal kingdom through being the sacrifice for our sins. And so he met with his disciples one last time during, during what they call the Passover feast. And, and uh, as they were in that room together, Jesus told them some very troubling things. He told them, first of all, I'm leaving. I'm leaving. I'm going away. And where I'm going, you cannot come. But the other things were even more troubling. He said, there's, there's someone among you that is going to betray me, that's going to, to hand me off, and, and, and I'm going um, to be arrested. And, and the things that followed, they were going to see. But, but he was just telling them these things so that they would not be troubled and they wouldn't be confused when it happened. But he said, not only that, not only is someone going to betray me, all of you disciples 
are going to deny me. You're going to flee. You're going to run from me. And, and, and Peter himself, he speaks up and he says, says Lord, I, I will never deny you. I'm not going to leave you, Lord. And Jesus says, no, actually, you will. And the, the, the last words before John chapter 14, verse 1, Jesus says this. Will you lay down your life for me, Jesus says to Peter? Truly, truly, I say to you, the rooster will crow. The rooster will not crow till you have denied me three times. In the presence of all these disciples, do you think that this was troubling news? That not only were they going to leave Jesus and deny him, but that Jesus was going to be going away and where he was going they couldn't follow? I mean, he's, he's, he, they've been with him for three years. They were, they were learning from him. They were trusting him. They, they believed that he was the king, that he was going to set up his kingdom. But still, they misunderstood what Jesus was doing here on this earth. And in the, in the midst of their troubled hearts, in the midst of their anxiety about the future, Jesus said these words, Do not let your hearts be troubled. Do not let your hearts be troubled. And as I said again for us today, these are words that I think we all feel as well. Maybe we don't face the exact same situation that the disciples were facing at that moment. I think that what they were facing was actually much more extreme than what we face today. Because we see the, we see the reality of what Jesus has done. And we wait for his second coming. But they still didn't know. He speaks peace over them in five different things that he gives them. And the first, first, first thing that he does is he lays a foundation, and it's the foundation that John actually laid in his whole book. These things are written that you might believe. And he says this, believe in God. Believe in God. Believe also in me. Now, this whole sentence is written in what we would call the imperative. There's, there's imperative words that are written, the, the words believe are written in the imperative. It, it means that they're a command. Okay, so first of all, we've been commanded to not let our hearts be troubled. But then second, we've been commanded to believe in God. And he's recognizing, you disciples, Peter, James, John, Thomas, Bartholomew, Philip, Andrew, you, you all believe in God. You must believe in God. But keep on going. You must believe in me also. Believe also in me. He's saying this is essential. You cannot just say, you believe in God. I believe in God without saying, I believe in Jesus. And that becomes the argument that he makes through this whole text of why we can have peace in our troubled hearts is through our faith putting our faith, putting our trust in Jesus Christ and his work. Keep on going. So he builds upon it. And the first argument that he makes is this. You have a place in my father's house if you believe in me. If you believe in me, you don't have to despair. You don't have to be discouraged. You have a place in the father's house. Here we go. Verse 2. He says, in my father's house are many rooms. I think we've heard these words a lot. We even sing about them, don't we? We sing, in my Father's house 
can't sing. I have a frog in my, frog in my throat, so it's good. Good, I didn't have to sing this morning. <laughs> in my father's house, there's a place for me, right? I'm a child of God. Yes, I am. We sing these words with confidence. I've, I've always been confused by this, this word room, though. And as, as I studied it, as I looked up the actual roots of this word, what, what I came to understand is that he's not just saying that it's, it's a room that God has for us. I mean, to be honest, I, I don't want a room. I don't want to just go to a room in the Father's house. I, I, want, to, I want to go to the mansion, right? And, and that's how some, some of your translations might say. In my Father's house, um, in my Father's house, there are many mansions. Who has mansions in their Bible? Yeah, like half of you. Okay, so, so, so there's another problem, though, with, with the word mansion, okay? The problem is sometimes, like, we sing that song, I've got a mansion just over the hilltop. Okay, who sang that song as a kid? Or, yeah, okay, all the old people. Okay, sorry. <laughs> I did too, okay? And, and it was just part of what we did as church, okay? But we get this idea that heaven is going to be like we're going to all get our own mansion, Right? Is that what Jesus was saying? And we're like, amen, I want a mansion. Like, get out of my crummy house. <laughs> Is that what Jesus was saying, though? It's all about your mansion? It's about, all about your room? No, no. The point is, we're in the Father's house. There's room for us in the Father's house. It's not that there is a room, but there is room for you there. And so, so this word actually, what it means is a place to abide, a place to stay, a place to rest. And that's literally what, what it, Jesus is saying. In the Father's house, there's a place for you. Take comfort in that. Rest in that. Be assured of that. There is room for you in the Father's house. And he goes on to say this. If it were not so, I would have told you. Keep on moving. That I go to prepare a place for you. And if I go to prepare a place for you, we'll stop there. Second argument is not only that there is room for you in the Father's house, you have a place in the Father's house, is that He is going to prepare a way to that place. He is going to prepare a way to that place. Now, if we take what Jesus says at, at surface level, we could almost think that in some way God's house is incomplete. He says, I am going to prepare a place for you, right? And so, so I always had this idea that, that Jesus is up in heaven right now with his carpenter belt on, and even though he doesn't need tools, he can actually just speak things into existence, that he's up in heaven just speaking more and more of heaven into existence, but it begs the question, is heaven somehow right now incomplete? You might say, well, without us, it's incomplete, right? <laughs> but no, actually, heaven is complete. It's been established before the foundation of the earth. The, 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 there doesn't need to be more buildings or more mansions built into heaven. We actually see, and John had a vision of what what heaven is, is going to be like. And so, so Jesus is not saying, I'm going to go and I'm going to start, you know, getting out my hammer and nails and, you know, my saws and my nail guns and I'm going to keep on building, building the, the house of God. 
I'm preparing your place. I'm preparing your mansion. I'm building it for you. No. What Jesus was saying to his disciples is that there's a place for you in the house of God. But that room or that mansion, whatever you want to think of it up, there's a door to that, that place. And that door is locked. It's shut. It's barred. Maybe if, if you're into Airbnbs and they have a code on the door, you don't have the code. You can't get in. You don't have access. And nothing that you can do is ever going to get you into God's place, into God's house. I need disciples, Peter, John, James, I need to in the next nine hours or more go and prepare the way for you to enter into God's house. I'm going to turn myself over to you and I'm going to be crucified I'm going to die. I'm going to bear the wrath of God upon my body. I'm going to bear your sin. I'm going to take your punishment to prepare that way and to open the door for you to enter into God's house. Why do you think that Jesus himself said, I am the door? He's the way. He's our way. So there is a place for you to enter. There's a place for you in God's house. And Jesus is preparing the way. We know that he prepared the way. He was telling his disciples, I've got some work to do. I've got some work to do to prepare the way. Third argument comes in verse 3. There's a place. I'm going to prepare the way. And third, he says, I will be your dwelling and I will get you there. I'll be your dwelling. Keep on going. Verse 3b, he says, I will come again, I will come again, and I will take you to myself, that where I am, you may be also. I will come again. What's he talking about? I don't know if he's actually even just talking about um, his resurrection. I think he's talking about what is still to come, that we await his second coming, his return to this earth. And what he says is that when that happens, I will take you to be to myself, that where I am, you may be also. Let me ask you a question. What's the essence of heaven? What's the essence of heaven? I'm not talking about the substance, the essence. Isn't the essence of heaven the place where God is? where our Savior is, where the Holy Trinity dwells, three, three in one. Now, the substance of heaven may be pearly gates and streets of gold, but the essence of heaven is to be in the presence of God. And you, you, could, you could flip it around to say, what's, what's the essence of the presence of Christ? It's to be in presence of an eternal God. It's to be in heaven itself. It says, even, even if, if, you, if you study eschatology, you can see that, that eventually Jesus will return, and, and you can read this through Revelation, but there will be a thousand-year reign where this earth will be destroyed, and he will set up his kingdom here on this earth. 
And you can get really deep into that conversation, but, but the fact is, is Jesus is going to come and return, and he will take us to himself, and we will be with him. So he's saying, I will be your dwelling. I will be your dwelling. What he does is he moves it from thinking about a place, heaven as a place, to heaven being a person, and that's Jesus Christ. Keep on going. Jesus continues to talk, and there's a question. Thomas pipes up. Thomas said to him, Lord, we don't know where you are going, so how can we know the way? Now, Thomas, I think, gets ragged on a lot in Scripture, don't you think so? I mean, when, when Jesus was resurrected and he appeared to his disciples, Thomas wasn't there. And Thomas said, unless I see the, the nail marks in his hands and I put my hand into his side, I won't believe. Okay, and we call Thomas Doubting Thomas. And, and I don't know if that's a fair way to think of Thomas, actually. Um, even though Jesus said, Thomas, stop doubting, but, but believe. Now, I think Thomas just wanted to be sure. He wanted to have all the facts. And so, so here Thomas is again. He's just like, hey, uh, Jesus, um, question. I got a question, Jesus. Can you help me understand? We don't know where you're going. How can we know the way? Can we just say thank you to Thomas right now for asking that question? <laughs> because, because his question is a good one. And I think we all need to hear the answer to this. Whether you've been in Christ for a long time, whether you've been a follower of Jesus for a long time, or maybe you're just checking out church for the first time or starting to read your Bible. Here is what Jesus said, and it's the gospel in one verse. And we know this verse, he says, Jesus answered him. In answer to Thomas's question, how can we know the way? He says, I am the way. I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. We could probably spend all day on this verse. But what Jesus is saying is very, very exclusive and not a very popular statement in that day or in today. He's saying, I am the only way to God's house. I'm going. I'm going there. And your only way to get there is through me. I am the door. I am making a way for you. I am that place. I am the way. He goes on to say, I am the truth. I am the truth. You know, I read sometime, I, I mean, Yesterday, it's not anybody around here or in our church, but I, I, was, I was seeing them post on Facebook to say, oh, there's all these crazy things flying around on social media today, all these people with all these different opinions. Could you just stop being angry at yourself and just live your own truth? Ever hear that statement before? Live your truth. If you heard it before, it's not right. Because who's the truth? Jesus Christ. He's the way. He's the truth. He's the absolute truth. And there's no more clear absolute truth than that Jesus is our only way to God. And that's not a popular thing. And that what Scripture speaks of, it is truth. And it's absolute truth. No matter the changing tides in our culture, no matter the changing tides 
in legislation or public opinion. It is the truth. And so let's, let's stand upon it. Let's preach it. Let's go to it. And, and I find myself in these confusing days where it's even hard to actually find what is truth. When, when you read the news, when you hear it, when you see so much plaster on social media, you could see one post saying one thing and one post saying another opposite thing. And you're like, what? Huh? What's going on? We delve into God's Word and we find truth that satisfies our soul. And this is where it's at. He's the way. He's the truth. And you want life? You'll find it in Him. He is the life. You know, early Christians stood on this so much that they were actually known by, by the term the way. Okay, so before they were known as Christians, they were known as a sect called the way. Did you know that? And what do you think they were referring to? Jesus is the way. Jesus is the only way to God. Now, if you would say that in the public square today, that would not be acceptable. You'd be called a bigot. You'd be called narrow-minded. And that is what we are. We are narrow-minded. We are single-focused. Jesus is the only way to God. He says, I am the way. I am the truth. And I am the life. It actually even says in the book of Matthew, chapter 7, Jesus talks about the wide path and the narrow path. He says this, enter by the narrow gate. He's calling himself the narrow gate. For the gate is wide, and the way is easy that leads to destruction. And those who enter by it are many. For the gate is narrow, and the way is hard that leads to life. And those who find it are few. He's speaking the truth over us. Let's be those who declare that Jesus is the way the truth, and the life. Are you willing to be known by that name, by the name of Jesus? Are you willing to endure the public shame and scorn that comes with declaring that he is the only way? You better, you better be ready, church. Get ready, because the things that we're seeing, the advancement of culture so quickly is going to put us under pressure, and it's going to weed out like a fire who is the true followers of Jesus? Who's entering through the narrow gate and who's on the wide road to destruction? So let's be known as those that follow the way. He says, if you would have known me, you would have known my father also. From now on, you do know him and have seen him. Again, he's saying, I and the father, we are one. Believe it, trust in it. You have a place in the father's house. I am preparing the way. I am your dwelling. The fourth thing and the fourth assurance that we have, and here's where I think it gets really practical in these last two, two things. You may be saying, I, I, don't, I don't really know how this makes a difference for me struggling with anxiety, struggling with depression, struggling with being troubled constantly. Here's the thing that we need to know. Fourth truth is that the Father is with us now. The Father is with us now. There's another disciple who has a question. His name is Philip. Philip said to him in verse 8, Lord, show us the Father. Show us the Father. That is enough for us. He's saying he still doesn't get it. Jesus just said, I and the Father are one. Okay, don't, don't you understand? 
And Philip is like, no, we still need something. We still need to know something. And what Jesus does to wrap up this paragraph, and, and this is the only argument that ends up being through the rest of this paragraph, is, is six different statements where Jesus is saying, I and the Father are one. The Father is with you now. Believe me. Let me read it for you. The argu- argument number one actually comes in what I just read in verse, um, verse 6b. Actually, sorry, 7. He says, if you would have known me, you would have known my Father also. From now on, you do know him and have seen him. Okay, so that's argument number one. I and the Father are one. He goes on in verse 9, Jesus said to him, have I been with you so long and still you don't know me, Philip? Hmm? Whoever has seen me has seen the Father. This one. How can you say, show us the Father? Do you not believe that I and the Father, I am in the Father, and the Father is in me? The words that I say to you, I do not speak on my own authority, but the Father who dwells in me does his works. Believe me that I am in the Father, and the Father is in me, or else believe on account of the works themselves. Philip, the Father is with you now. I'm with you. Stop asking for the Father. I and the Father are one. Take assurance in that. That's argument number four. Fifth argument, though, is I believe we actually have to get outside this text, jump a few verses down to actually hear an argument that I think really impacts this church and our lives as followers of Jesus. And it's the argument this. Not only is there a place, not only has he gone to prepare the way for that place, not only is he our dwelling and he is our Father with us now, but that he will always be with us because he will dwell in us. That's what Jesus says in the, this last, these last few verses. We've got to skip to verse 15. Verse 15. Basically is saying, I will always be with you. Even though I'm leaving Even though I'm going to be crucified, I'm going to die as a penalty for your sins on the cross. I'm going to be buried, and I'm going to be raised again, and then I'm going to send to the Father in heaven. I will always be with you. Here he says, verse 15, If you love me, you will keep my commandments. And I will ask the Father, and he will give you another helper to be with you forever. Even the spirit of truth, whom the world cannot receive because it neither sees him nor knows him. You know him, for he dwells with you and will be in you. I will not leave you as orphans. I will come to you yet a little while, and the world will see me no more. But you will see me. Because I live, you also will live. Skip down over to um, verse 25. He says, these things that I have spoken to you, these things I have spoken to you while I am still with you, but the Helper, the Holy Spirit whom the Father will send in my name, he will teach you all things and bring to your remembrance all that I have said to you. Now, you may be thinking, Jesus, you're, you're just talking about the Holy Spirit, right? 
Like, you're going to send the Holy Spirit, and we know in, in the book of Acts, the fire descends and tongues of fire on, on, on the disciples, and, and they're empowered by the Spirit, and the Spirit goes and empowers them for works of ministry, and, and, and the church is born, the Spirit lit that flame and grows the church, and, and the gospel goes forth from there because He's with them. What Jesus is actually saying is it's not just this Holy Spirit actually understand that I am that spirit. I'm in that spirit. Yeah, you got to jump over. Don't, don't turn there if you don't want to, but, to, but it's in the, actually the book of Romans, chapter 8, where Jesus explains who the Holy Spirit is. And he says this in verse, chapter 8 of the book of Romans, verse 9. He says, you, however, are not in the flesh, but in the spirit. If, in fact, the spirit of God dwells in you, so he's talking about, I think, the Holy Spirit, right? Spirit of God dwells in you. But get this. He says, anyone who does not have the Spirit of Christ does not belong to him. The Spirit of God, the Spirit of Christ. What's he saying? He's saying, I will always be with you because I will dwell in you. And that's the assurance and the hope that we have as followers of Jesus. That as he talked about being adopted into God's family, him dwelling within us, that we have his spirit as a seal of that adoption. That we know that we are children of God because he himself dwells with us and will be in us. And that's the hope that we have in enduring, difficult, troubling times that not only will we go to a place where he will be, but he literally dwells within us at all times. He is our Father, he's the Son, and he's the Spirit. He's with us. He's God in flesh, and not only God with us, but God in us, and we take great assurance and hope in that. The way that he ends this is I want to just end with verse 27. Because I, I think it, it goes along with that song that we, we uh, used at the beginning of our service, that song, The Blessing, right? Um, a lot of us have heard that song from Elevation Church over, over this whole time. I think it came out just before the coronavirus hit, actually. And it's kind of gone around the world as almost a song calming us and, and uh, preaching the gospel over us that Jesus is our peace. He's with us and he is for us. And that's the way that he ends his talk to his disciples. He says this. I don't want you to be troubled. And so because of that, verse 27, peace I leave with you. Peace I leave with you. My peace I give to you. Not as the world gives do I give to you. Let not your hearts be troubled. Neither let them be afraid. Can we just take these words and speak them over our souls as we close our service today? Literally, the peace of God has come for us. Jesus Christ, taking the substitutionary debt of sin, satisfying the wrath of God on our behalf, went to the cross. It actually says in Scripture, if we confess with our mouth that Jesus is Lord, believe in our heart that God raised him from the dead 
we will be saved. For with the heart, one believes and is justified. And with the mouth, one confesses and is saved. You want peace. You want assurance. You want hope in these difficult days. Put your faith in Jesus. Believe in God. Believe also in me, he says. In my Father's house, there's many rooms. He's prepared a place for us. Let's thank him for that. Let's take great joy in that he has taken our sin, our shame, and we can rest assured and hopeful in these days ahead. Let me pray with us. Let's, let's close our eyes. Let's bow our heads. If anyone is here that doesn't know Jesus or maybe, maybe has, has come to the service or come online for the first time hearing the message of the gospel that you can't get to God's house on your own, you need Jesus to go and open the door. Would you at this time confess that Jesus is Lord? Believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead. Pray a prayer and ask Jesus to save you. Ask him to forgive you. And those with us here today that know him, let's thank him. Let's take great joy that he has done that for us, that he is our hope, he's our assurance, and that he has sent his spirit down to us. Let's pray together. Father, I thank you that you are our Savior, our Lord, our peace. Thank you, God, that we can choose to rest in you in these difficult and tumultuous days. Thank you for the peace that you have spoken over our troubled souls. That we can live with eternity in the forefront. Lord, expecting the day when you will return for your own and take us to dwell with you. Thank you, Father, for speaking peace. Not just to your disciples, but to us as your disciples today. Thank you. Pray this in Jesus' precious, holy name. Amen. As we end our service, why don't we just sing that last verse of that song that we opened with. The Lord bless you. The Lord keep you. The Lord cause his face to shine upon you and, and give you peace. Why don't we just sing it to one another? And if you have the lyrics back there, why don't you, why don't you just bring up verse 1. The Lord bless you and keep you and make his faith shine upon you and be gracious to you the Lord turn his face toward you and give you peace let's sing amen amen good. Guys, thank you for joining us in our service this morning. We look forward to interacting with you throughout the week. And let's remember as we leave from this place, let's go be the church 
our community, Traverse City, and this world needs the gospel more than ever before. And let's go be a witness for him. Thank you, guys. Um, I think we're masking up as we go out. Let's make sure we stay social distance as far as we can. But uh, let's choose to just be the church as we go. Thank you, guys. Love you.